0: Over the last few weeks, we have been journeying along uh, talking about Adventus, uh, which is Latin for Advent. And if you come from a church tradition that is a little more formal, you've probably celebrated Advent uh, sometime in your past. Uh, If you haven't grown up in a tradition like that, this may have been the first journey through that for you. And uh, maybe if you're a guest today, you've never heard about Advent. Advent is simply the coming of somebody important. And for us at Christmas, it's the coming of the Christ child, knowing that though Israel is in darkness and without hope, that God is sending a Messiah. He's coming close again. And so the first week, we lit the candle of hope, which is almost gone now here. Um, The candle of hope, that even in the darkness, God is sending his hope that he's coming close again, that they won't be lost. And then we lit the candle of peace, that even in the midst of strife, there can be peace because God's presence is there. And then last week, Abba Kuk talked about the candle of joy, which is represented by the pink candle that joy isn't presence and all the things that the world says is joy but joy is found on the bottom shelf it is the presence of god that makes life joyful no matter what is going on and so today we're lighting the candle of love and we're going to talk about god's love and then this evening We'll celebrate the Christ candle, the white candle that is in the middle. Uh, But we're talking about love today. and Love is a curious thing. Um, When we're young and then we're in love, it makes us giddy and googly-eyed and just fun to watch from a distance as an older person going, I remember those days. Because nowadays, uh, love sometimes make you crazy. Because the person that you've been paired with and that you love has some quirks and whatever you're just like, ah, why do you do that? Love makes us crazy. Love stirs our emotions, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But it simply moves us forward and draws us close. Uh, just some examples of how we can love and what we can love. It is well known that I love coffee. Um, This picture right here, this is how nerdy I am when it comes to coffee. That's a Hario V60 pour-over drip uh, cup with a nice Hario decanter to catch the coffee as it brews. Um, That's a glorious way to make a cup of coffee. Uh, I have owned a couple of those in my time, and then I always gift them to somebody else because, as you'll see in a minute, I have way too many other ways to make coffee. Uh, This next picture are simply two of the many photos of coffee on my phone. Uh, The first one is a cupping that we did at Theodore's Coffee. Theodore's Coffee provided our coffee um, for many years uh, before they closed this fall, Um, and we went over and met my friend Darwin, who was amazing with coffee, and he allowed us to cup and just to experience and learn about coffee. And then the other one are two of my favorite mugs. They're handmade by my friend Rita, and... You can drink coffee out of a styrofoam cup, but it's, it's almost sacrilegious. You have to have a good mug to drink coffee. Amen. Um, and so those are two of my favorites. A good coffee mug is one that is not too big, so that if you don't drink it fast, it doesn't get cold on you, um, and preferably handmade. So uh, this picture, as my daughter giggles... This is a picture in my office of all the other ways that I have to brew coffee. On the left, the um, AeroPress, which is a nice, easy, quick way to make a cup of coffee, designed by the guy that made the uh, Aero Frisbee round disc thing. Uh, On the other side is a Chemex, which is really the quintessential way. And then right in the middle, the double circle thing, that is called a vacuum brewer that I've mastered maybe slightly. The last time I tried to make it, it boiled over, and it was a mess. But if you do it well, that is a great way to make a cup of coffee. And then the silver thing, that's my nemesis. That is a Vietnamese coffee brewer, because Vietnamese coffee is very strong, and so they brew it over sweetened condensed milk, and it's not good for your sugars. But um, I've attempted that brewer. Multiple times and failed miserably every time. But I love coffee and I continually try because I want to learn, I want to get better at it, I want to experience it. So much so that even my computer screens have coffee on them. (laughs) Not my wife, not my daughter, not my guitars, which would be a close second, I think. But it's coffee. So maybe your love isn't coffee. Maybe your love is some sort of sports. And I put U of M up there because. We bash on U of M a lot here because you all have a crazy love about your team, but you love your team and you support your team and it's what drives you. Maybe your love is cooking or my friend Joe loves barbecue and so he eats, sleeps barbecue. He spends tons of money on barbecue uh, pits and when he moved... He gave me two big giant boxes of barbecue stuff, and he gave Frank, my friend, two big boxes of barbecue stuff, and he gave my friend Tim two boxes of barbecue stuff because he had just acquired so much stuff because he loves barbecue. He loves to experiment, he loves to immerse himself in that. Or you could be like Walter. This is Walter. He wasn't in the room first hour for this. Walter loved trees. And so, on his Facebook, why you would leave this on your Facebook, I don't know, but he loves trees, and this is him in a very younger time in his life with a cowboy hat sitting in a tree. Walter loves the outdoors. Uh, He loves his hands in the dirt. He loves growing things and just experiencing God's creation. We also love people. This is a picture of my wife and my daughter. And I love to be around them. They're crazy at times, referencing my earlier statements, but I love to be around them, to watch movies together, uh, to have a meal together, uh, just uh, to spend time with one another. So much so that I've made a covenant with my wife and bound myself to her, and then in that, I've bound myself to my daughter to be the dad that I'm trying to be. Love. Draws us close. Even if there's distance, love draws us close. There are phone calls and emails, and now because of COVID, there's Zoom, Uh, there's cards. We can be close even distanced. And so when you love, you want to be close. And I think God wants to be close to us, and I think God is close to us because of the way. That he is. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to take this journey. We just got done as a church reading through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, seeing how God created and how he journeyed alongside his creation and his people right up to where they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And I think there are some key things in that that help us to know that God is close and that God loves us. When God created, he had to want to do it. He didn't do it because somebody told him to. He didn't do it just because, oh, I'm bored, I want to do something. He created because he wanted to be in relationship with his creation. And so he made this garden of plants and trees, and he made the animals and the fish in the sea, and he saw that it was good. And then he created Adam and Eve, the pinnacle of his creating, and he made them in his image, and he called them good. And we know in Genesis 3 that God is walking in the garden in the cool of the evening right before he happens upon Adam and Eve after they've sinned. God is close to his creation. He's there walking in the garden. Scripture doesn't tell us, but maybe he's interacted with Adam and Eve as they've been there. The idea that this holy God, the one who created, was close to them. But God had to give Adam and Eve a choice, just like he gives you and I a choice. He created a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he said, you shouldn't eat from that tree. You can eat from the tree of life and everything here, but this tree you need to stay away from. But Adam and Eve, in their curiosity... Through the influence of the serpent, chose to eat from the tree because the serpent said, you won't die, you'll just become like God, which is a dangerous thing which we'll talk about here in a minute. But they ate from the tree, they made a choice, and they broke the closeness of God. Because one one of the results of them eating from the tree is that God had to banish them from the tree of life. They couldn't be where God's presence was anymore. And the relationship that they had with the ground, that it was just going to produce fruit and they wouldn't have to work, now they're going to have to work the ground to survive. And God's presence is distanced from them. And if we continue to read, we see the result of them breaking God's request. The world devolves into chaos. Their son Cain kills their son Abel because he's jealous of an offering. and it spins out of control, to the point where God says, "I am sorrowful for creating this world, because it has fleed from my presence. It has become awful, to the point where He kills it all and recreates using Noah. In the ark, and Noah's family. But if you've read the first part of Genesis, you know that Noah and his family don't take long to lose sight of what God has called them to be, and by the end of chapter 11, man has built a tower into the heavens to try to look into the place of God, to be like God, just as Adam and Eve did, and God scatters them throughout the world. And once again, They're moved away from God's presence. Shortly after that, we meet this new player in the story, Abraham. Abraham is a nobody from nowhere. He's aged and his wife is aged and God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want you to leave this nobody place and I want you to go to the place where I'm going to give you and you're going to be a great nation And through you, I'm going to bring my blessing to the world, and you're going to be involved in that blessing. God comes close to this nobody and uses him for his glory. And if you read the story, you see that Abraham and his descendants, they do okay. Um, And at one point, God makes a covenant with them shortly after he brings them out of slavery in Egypt He makes a covenant and he moves in the midst of them in his tabernacle, which we read about and we talked about. However, as they get ready to head into the promised land, shortly after they head into the promised land, they once again lose sight of what God wants them to be and his closeness in the midst of them is broken. Uh, how, How would you feel if God chose to say, hey, I'm going to come and move into your house, I'm going to live upstairs and all is going to be well. For some of you, you'd be like, yeah, that's awesome. And some of you, you're like, oh, that's a little scary because I do my church stuff here, but my home stuff is my home stuff. I don't know that I want God in there. Israel has this back and forth with God. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not good. And and God finally can't take it anymore. And as we'll read next year, or this fall as we read through the rest of the history of Israel, God sends them into exile and steps away from them again. And it's in this chasm of God not being there and them being a broken nation that falls between there and when Jesus comes. There's a darkness. There's a hope that their God is going to show up again, But they don't know when. They're watching. They're looking. They're waiting for the advent of their Messiah. And God shows up. Not in the way that one would think he would show up. If he's God and he's sending his son to be the Messiah, you'd think it'd be big and boisterous. But it's a baby in a manger in a cattle stall sort of shoved off in the corner because Bethlehem is too busy for the right place for the king of the world to be born. I want to read in Matthew and uh, just talk about this advent of Jesus, because when God shows up and brings Jesus, the whole world is changed and his presence comes near again. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, you can read on the screen, um, or if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, I would encourage you to do so. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. The God who can create and make the flowers and make the mountains and make the world, who can raise up a flood and restart his creation can also make a virgin be ready to have his son. Verse 19, because Joseph was her husband and he was faithful to the law, yet he did not want to expose her to a public disgrace. Because her being pregnant before being married in that day and age was a serious no-no. They could have easily taken her out, just as we've read in Leviticus, they could have taken her out and the community could have stoned her For being in the wrong in her pledge to her husband. He had the mind to divorce her quietly. But in verse 20, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. And as Joseph listens to this angel, and he hears the angel say, his name will be Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. The light bulbs are going off in his head because Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, means the Lord is our Savior. He realizes that his son, probably this coming Messiah. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said in the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not God somewhere in the distance, but God who is with us, who is present, just like he was Back in the tabernacle, just like he was in the garden. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus. So the Messiah, the one who is coming to restore his people, comes in this form of a little baby. Not the way you would think a king would come into the world. You would think a king would come in with bells and trumpets, proclaiming that he is here, yet in a lowly cattle stall, the Son of God is born to be cared for by the people he is coming to save. And yet, in this little baby, God has come close. He's come close so that this hope that we are waiting on is here and present. He is bringing peace, and he'll show how peace is to reign in his kingdom that it's about loving your enemies. It's about being graceful to those who are meek around you. He's the one that brings joy because the Messiah has shown up. We now know that God is faithful and arrived. And he is the God of love, just as John 3.16 says, For the God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the word there for love is the Greek word agape, which is the biggest God-fatherly love word in the Greek language. It's that grandfatherly dad love that just swarms you when you need it to. And so God has given us this gift, this baby Jesus who brings hope and peace and joy and love. He has come close. It is the greatest gift. But the challenge for us is this. As Jesus comes... He lives, he shows us how to live, he goes to the cross, he dies, and he's raised again. He shows us how to live, and he calls us to draw close. And that's the question that's before you right now. He is the perfect gift, but with any gift, you have to pick it up, and you have to take it. You have to open it. And then it's up to you of how you appreciate that gift whether it's something that you just set on the shelf, or whether it's something that you allow to shape who you are. and So as we continue to worship and as we respond today, I'm going to challenge you and ask you this question. How do you respond to God's love? Are you somebody who walked in the door today that hasn't been in a church for a while and you sort of wondered in the back of your head when I walk in the door... Are the walls going to cave in? Are the people going to be judgmental of me even though they don't know my story? Uh, Maybe you've been following God for a while and you've just drifted off to the side of the road and you need to get back on the road and grasp hold of that gift again. Maybe you've been walking well, but it's time for you to take that next step forward. Uh, We're going to sing... And we're going to share in communion, which is yet another reminder that God is close. And there are people around the room that would love to talk with you. If you need to take that next step, if you need to know what God's grace and love is, he's right here. You just have to step in. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good. Um, I thank you that you are over us as you love your creation and that you've been constantly involved all the way from the beginning of time even though we as your creation have almost always went the other way. I thank you for your depth of love and your tenacity for us as your people that you stayed true to your side of the commitment that you made to us that even when Abraham's descendants the people of Israel failed that you didn't give up that you continued to figure out how you could come close that as you sent your son and your people turned against him before he was crucified, that you stayed close. Lord, I pray right now that you would help us to know that you are close and that your love abounds for us no matter how broken we are, no matter how imperfect we think we are. that you're calling us to the table where we'll eat a piece of bread and a cup of juice which represents for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. May you help us to cling to you and to step close and bask in your love. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. If you'll stand, celebrate the Lord's Supper and allow us to continue to celebrate our God.